Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, this is your first time worshiping with us at East. We are pumped to have you. And in fact, we bought you something. Uh, not many places that you'll go where they'll give you something. But we will. We've got, we've got a free gift that we'd love to give you today. If you'll take uh, the card from the seat in front of you, fill it out, drop it by Next Steps on your way out today. Even if you've been here before, but you've just never taken advantage of our free gifts, uh, we'd ask you to do that. They'll give you a free T-shirt and some info about our church so you can, uh, so you can make an informed decision about whether this is somewhere God would have you uh, plug in. And so this morning we're kicking off a new series. This uh, is actually part two of a, a series that we did back in November, uh, going through the, the book of Mark in the New Testament. So you can go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 8. That's where we'll be here in a little bit. Back in November, we got all the way up to chapter 8, looking at Jesus' interactions with the multitudes, with the, the, the crowds of people, the large groups that followed Jesus. And however, this month, what we're doing is we're beginning to focus uh, what happens from chapters 8 through 11, or as the Jesus' uh, attention begins to focus on his disciples, the smaller group of people who, who have actually committed their lives to following Jesus. And so we're going to jump back into the passage that we actually studied last in November, because in it, Jesus defines the shift from what does it mean to move from the, the crowds, the multitudes, to being a disciple. Uh, so that's where we'll be in Mark chapter 8. This message is also great timing, given our last sermon series for the whole month of April. Uh, we were in a study that we called uh, The Christ and the Fulfillment. And so we were looking at what it means to, for Jesus to be the Christ or the Messiah. Um, it's literally into that discussion, right, right before the verses I'm going to read this morning. And we'll actually read those here in a little bit uh, and talk some about that. Um, but it's, it's into that discussion that we're jumping back into in Mark. And so uh, God's lining everything up for us uh, so that we can learn and grow together. And so I'm going to read verses 34 through 37 from Mark chapter 8. Um, then I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we'll come back and talk about it, okay? Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? Before I pray, let me remind you, you may not know this, but right now we have six families next door in Building B who are going through our East 101 uh, which is our, uh, it's our membership class. It's also just a way for people to learn about who we are as a church. And so six families um, that God has sent our, to our church over the last few months. Um, and so they're moving through that process. So as I pray, I'm also going to pray for them, and I don't want y'all to be weirded out and go, what in the world is he talking about, okay? So when you hear that in the prayer, that's what I'm talking about, okay? Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for your word. Um, God, we thank you that, that there is uh, uh, so, many, so many truths, God, that we need to... To dwell on, God, we need to think about, God, some truths just like these verses today. God, they're very familiar uh, to me. I know, God, I've read them and read them and heard messages and sermons. And God, I pray that uh, just as you've done with me this week, God, that you do with all of the people who are gathered here today, God, that you make it uh, it come alive. God, make it new. Um, God, speak to them in a fresh way. Uh, God, or, or remind them of something that they already know, God, to be obedient. God, whatever it is that you choose to do today, God, we trust you with this. Uh, God, we trust you as well uh, with the six families that are next door, God, which which represent, you know, some of them have kids, young kids, older kids, uh, uh, grown kids. Um, God, uh, we, 
just we thank you, God, that for whatever reason, God, you continue to send people to Lindsay Lane East, um, God, who are who are hungry for community, um, God, who are hungry for God's word, and God, we pray that as a church we would uh, we would do the best we can with them, uh, God, to help them grow and help them get connected and begin to serve here at Lindsay Lane East. God, I pray for Kenny as he's leading that next door. Uh, God, we, we lay all this at your feet. Uh, God, as always, we ask you to teach us to know you and be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, by this time, Jesus has developed quite a following. Okay, quite a following. People have seen some of his miracles. They've heard this incredibly powerful teaching um, that, that, that they've that's different than anything else they're hearing from anybody else. They're following him all over the place. They want more. They want to see more. They want to hear more. At this point, Jesus and his disciples are probably north of the Sea of Galilee, if that means anything to you. If not, don't worry about it. You can look up a little map um, and see that if you'd like. But they've been traveling heavily by this point, and yet still people are coming to meet and hear this great teacher. But Jesus begins in a way that only Jesus can when the crowds come, he begins to teach in a less than attractive way. That's what we love about Jesus. It's not the message that most teachers would want to teach when they had a huge crowd. Uh, we see that. We saw that in verse 34. The crowds the crowds are coming along with the disciples. Um, and no doubt, the disciples were like, Jesus, give them something light. You know what I mean? Give them something encouraging. Don't run them off like you did last time. <laughs> Just please be encouraging, Jesus. And then Jesus says, like, deny yourself. Be willing to die, right? Like he gives a, Jesus did it with the, five, the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their families. And everybody's hanging on their word. This is the guy that just fed us through a miracle. They're all listening. And Jesus throws out his arms and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all go, weirdo. And they walk away, right? And so this is what Jesus does. And it has to be frustrating for his disciples, but... Um, but it's what he does. When a crowd comes, he begins to, to sometimes teach in a very, very d- deep and, uh, and, and not necessarily an attractive way of what we think about today. Um, Jesus explains to them, however, the beautiful yet difficult road of being a disciple. And in these verses, I believe, even if you're familiar with them, I think there's still some great truths for us today. So if you want to follow Jesus well, you've got to wrestle with these verses. There are three things about what it looks like to understand, or you need to understand about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And they're all found in verse 34. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And in typical weird Heath East fashion, we're going to start at the end just to shake things up and to bother you type A people. Um, So we're going to start with the words, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. And I'll argue that that's the most important thing, where we've got to begin when we wrestle with this verse because of the last two letters. M-E spells me. Thank you, Kyle. Me. Right? Like before we even get to what is it like to follow Jesus, we've got to realize who it is that we're desiring to follow. We've got to have an accurate picture. Before you can accurately follow, you have to know, point number one is this, the nature of the leader. The nature of the leader. Uh, since, I, uh, since the time I felt like God was preparing the way for me to serve his church vocationally, um, I've tried to learn about leadership. I've tried to learn all that I can about leadership, uh, just some ways. I've been to seminars. 
sat through trainings, read books, listened to hundreds of hours of podcasts and YouTube videos, met with pastors for lunch and other other ministry leaders, community leaders, to ask them questions about what it looks like to be a leader. How do you lead? How do you handle these situations? All this stuff. But some of the simplest truths that I've learned about leadership don't come from an adult. They come from watching my own two kids. And I can tell, some of you parents uh, might can resonate with this, um, I can tell when either of my kids have made a new friend. And here's how I can tell. Uh, they sometimes pick up new words or phrases, right? Your kids made a friend like that before. <laughs> they come home and you're like, where'd you learn that word? You've got a new friend at school, don't you? Because <laughs> we don't use that word around here, right? Or maybe it may not necessarily be a bad word. <laughs> That's where my mind goes. It can sometimes just be a good word. Like just Elsa Joe will come home and throw out some weird word, you know, ratchet or something like this. Something that that high schoolers are saying, and clearly she made a friend who has a high school brother, you know. And I'm like, ah, that's not a bad word, but I don't necessarily know what it means. I'm gonna have to Google that, right? Uh, look on TikTok or something to try to figure out what the word means. Um, and and I can uh, that's I can tell when they made a new friend, or maybe it's not a new word or phrase. Maybe it's a new attitude. It's a new way to roll their eyes at me. Um, it's a new question that they're asking. Like all this stuff comes up. Y'all experience this? I'm not the only one. Amen. So what ha- what I've learned is that my kids often emulate and mimic the behavior of people in their lives. What I'm learning from that is that leadership is always happening, even when. We don't have a game plan or an intentionality. We are always watching each other and other people and being shaped by what we see. We as adults have something to help us guard against this. It's called a, a fully developed frontal lobe. If you're familiar with how the brain works, um, there's this front part of your brain that's really stinking important. <laughs> and our children, teenagers, and young adults don't have a fully developed one. Sorry, Kids, all right. Up until you're about 25, some some adult some uh, some people say that our, our frontal lobe is still developing. This is the part of the brain that handles those those perceptive type functions. You see, my kids cannot perceive well who are good influencers for them and who are bad ones. That's a frontal lobe kind of thing. But we as adults can, and we often do it. We judge the message of a leader against his or her character or what we perceive to be their character, don't we? New boss at work. New boss at work who's just a little bit more arrogant than your last one. You know, your last one was arrogant too. You just you got used to it. Then the new one comes in, you're like, who is this guy? Who is this lady? She thinks she's all that. Right? Well, we begin to judge. We go to Walmart. And that lady who gossips all the time, like it's just her nature. And you try to point your feet and your buggy towards the produce aisle, but she won't leave you alone. Or like you just, you're trying to get away from these people. And a televangelist who's got a little bit too much product in his hair and a little bit too fake of a smile. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just click back to sports, right? We, we constantly are judging people in our lives and deciding from our frontal lobe whether that's somebody we want to listen to, whether that's somebody we want to be around. And I'll admit this before all of you, I've been wrong before. There's people that I've met in ministry and in life where I go, like especially pastors and people in ministry, I go, this guy just likes to hear himself talk, and I don't want, I can't handle that. Like, I don't, 
I don't know what. And then, but what happens is God begins to, over time, help me see that that was the wrong perception. That was the wrong perception. And the more accurate my picture of the person's nature becomes, the more I learn to trust them and listen to them and follow them as leaders. I believe the same thing is going on here. Most of the people who are hearing Jesus say these crazy statements, I would argue that all of them have a misconception of who he is. Some of them think he's just a great teacher. Others just think a miracle worker. Some are beginning to wonder whether he's something, he's someone greater than that. That's the whole conversation that happened. Again, I've already referenced this, but uh, right before, we go back to verse 27. Just flipping back just a few verses. Jesus went with his disciples and on the road, he asked them, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? Who, what's, what's, the, what's the scuttlebutt? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ or the Messiah. And he strictly warned him not to tell anybody about him. You see, what we learned in the last study where we walked through what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, what we saw is that Peter makes a really incredible statement here by calling Jesus the Christ. And in one sense, he was right, but in the same sense, he was wrong. Everyone was wrong about who Jesus was. Even Peter, he knew he was the Christ, but his picture of who the Christ was was inaccurate. He was expecting a military leader to show up and take charge and restore Israel as a nation immediately by whooping Rome. And you're not, I don't believe you're prepared to follow someone really until you have an accurate picture of who they are. And so if we're going to assess, as those that were listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago did, who is this me? Who is this person who's saying, follow me? He's Jesus. He's a descendant of Abraham and David. The Messiah, the Savior. He was born on earth as a virgin. He was called the Son of Man from the book of Daniel. But we find out he was also ultimately the Son of God. The light of the world. The second Adam who brought life instead of death. The great I am who has always been. He was there in creation. Nothing was created without him. In fact, all things were created through him. On earth, he was a miracle worker. He healed the sick, the blind, the lame, drove out demons, and even raised people from the dead so that he might fulfill the writings of Isaiah. This is the me that we're to follow. You feeling the heaviness yet? You see, when you grasp who Jesus is, when you really see the heaviness of his nature, his actions on your behalf, and even more, the fulfillment of the entirety of, of God's word in the Old Testament. When you grasp all that, there is nothing that you wouldn't do for him. Do you get this? You see, it won't be until after Jesus has gone from their presence that his closest disciples begin to understand who he really was. But once it clicks, dude, once it clicks, it's on. They become radical. Their obedience becomes radical. Once you have a good idea of who it is you were called to follow, then the question becomes, what about the cost? And that's what Jesus addresses too, the cost of the mission. In Jesus' statement, he says, those who want to follow him have to take up their cross. Now, that sounds pretty intense, and you no doubt the, the people that were listening, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but they were probably like, okay, figuratively. So what does he mean? What is the cross? 
What's he speaking of here? So just to make sure they knew he was serious, verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me in the gospel will actually save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? Those that are listening are no doubt thinking, I thought the outcome of following this cool teacher would be that we learn a lot of things and see some cool magic tricks. But now you're talking about death. <laughs> Dying? Nah, dude. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going back to whatever. Making grinding barley or something. Again, when y'all get quiet, I just have to say something weird. Again, even if they thought Jesus was the Messiah like Peter, they would have thought that he was going to live this rock star life. And to follow him meant you got to be a roadie. Right? Like you got to be somebody that rides around with the rock star. You're part of the entourage. You're hanging out. You get to be with Jesus, living it up. We're with the guy who's kicking Rome's butt and taking our land back. This is going to be awesome. I'm getting a pool. I'm redoing the backyard. This is going to be awesome. We're going to be popular again. There's certainly some great benefits to following Jesus, but what Jesus' focus is on is on the great cost. And all those who are hearing Jesus teach that day are underestimating the cost. The closest disciples all experienced torture and all but one were put to death because of their connection to Jesus being his follower. So on this day, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, I, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt there is not a single person who took that in a literal way. Because, again, they had the wrong perception of Jesus' nature and purpose. But he was trying to help them see what kind of earthly pain and mess they were signing up for by following him. Many of them were ready to sign up without actually knowing what the cost would be. And I can say with awkward confidence that there are few things more embarrassing than trying to buy something and not having enough money to do it. Y'all ever been there? I've had to do the awkward walk out the Piggly Wiggly. That happened two months ago. Went to get some groceries at the pig. Got to the front. <laughs> hey, I got to run back home right quick. Right? That's awkward. That's awkward because they're all wondering if you're actually going to come back. It happened to me recently at the ball field. I had a $5 bill in my hand. I wanted a cheeseburger. And some of that sweet, sweet nectar that y'all call sun drop. Burgers are three fifty. I knew that going in. The ball field used to sell cans of sun drop, which were a dollar. Three fifty plus one dollar equals four fifty, which is less than five dollars. So I'm good. I get to the front. I'm standing at the wrong window. I didn't know that there was a window that you're only supposed to buy uh, the icy things, the snow cones. Uh, I was at that line. I didn't know it. So I get to the front. I tell the guy I want a burger. He, he gets it for me because I know him. And then I hand him my five after he gets me my stuff. And he says, that'll be fine, which is the weirdest thing. I don't know if y'all work in retail, but that's a weird thing to say when somebody buys something. That'll be fine. 
And then I looked down and I realized that he set a 20-ounce sun drop in front of me, not a can. So in this moment, I'm going, that ain't a dollar. At best, it's a buck fifty, which is five. At worst, it's two dollars. Now I'm five fifty in. I don't have enough money, and I realize it. So I start grabbing. I start grabbing my wallet. I had a dollar. I grab it, and he he says, "It's fine. It's fine." He shut the window on me. I opened it up, threw the dollar in, um, because in this moment, like in my mind, I'm going, "This guy, he knows I know him," and I'm embarrassed because I think he thinks I'm trying to get a deal. When really I'm just in, uh, dumb. Like I didn't know that you gave away twenty ounce sun drops. And so anyway, he let me he let me he let me short the ballpark fifty cents, and I walked away just absolutely embarrassed. Not only did I go to the wrong window, but I shorted him. Surely I'm not the only one who's done something like that before. It's awkward. And when Jesus lays out his call to follow him, he doesn't leave them that chance. There are other places where Jesus has people come up to him and they say, hey, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. Let's go, baby. And Jesus says, hey, how about this? What if it costs you this? And they go, well, they start backpedaling. They come with such boldness, I'm ready to follow you, and Jesus begins to show them the cost and they start backing away. Here, Jesus is telling them up front, this is what it's going to cost. They didn't really get it. They thought he was speaking some figurative language. But Jesus helps them grasp what grasp. What this is going to cost you, and what he says is everything. You need to be prepared for that. Even today, if you're thinking, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I think I'd like to. First, think this. What if it costs you your reputation? What if you lose every friend because you start following Jesus? Because now you're weird. You still in? What if you? What if it costs you your life? You still in? Right. That, that's the, that's the question. That's what Jesus is saying. Would you still do this? Would you still trust in this Jesus? That's what we're dealing with. But if you have, what we talked about first, if you have the right view of Jesus, I can tell you, you'll have no problem signing on to such a crazy plan, because <laughs> he's worth giving up everything. Just like that sun drop. It's worth $2. When we have the right view of our leader's nature and we have an idea of the cost of following, then we can begin to ask the question, what does this look like daily? And that's where Jesus speaks to, the lifestyle of the follower. Notice how he began the first verse. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him what? Deny himself. Deny himself. What is it supposed to look like to follow Jesus? I talk with people. I talk with people about this sometimes, and they're like, "Well, man, I read about these missionaries who are like getting ripped apart in other countries, like literally, like losing their lives in these crazy places overseas." I see people selling everything they have and and moving to, so that they can tell people about Jesus. Is that what this is supposed to look like? Well, maybe. Maybe it is for you. Hey, but maybe not. You see, the key characteristic of all Jesus' followers is not flying overseas. The key characteristic is not quitting your job to do ministry in your community or selling everything you have and giving that money away. The key characteristic Jesus says in this text is simply denying yourself. 
That may look like all those things. It may look like going overseas and getting ripped apart. It may look like selling everything and moving. It may look like quitting your job and doing ministry in your community. But it may not. It may look different for you. Now, there's a heavy prevailing view in the world that we as Christians, I've joked about it, you've joked about it, and, and I'm okay with us joking about it. That's this. You do you. You heard this? Hey, you do you. If you haven't heard that, it's okay. But people say that. When people are feeling bad about who they are, hey, you do you. You be you. What it means is just be yourself. Don't think about anybody else. Just take care of yourself. If, if you're a jerk, hey, well, that's just, that's just who you are. Folks can deal with it because you're sassy or you're a strong leader. People just don't understand you. You do you. God, it's got to be straight with you. That's the most unbiblical garbage I've ever heard. Because this is the opposite of denying yourself. To deny yourself means to all the time put your own needs behind those around you. You are never first. This means that we always serve others. On Friday, we rolled up like a bunch of rednecks to Creekside Elementary with trailers and trucks and four Blackstone griddles. And a large group of adults from this church spent three hours sweating, working, and smelling soy sauce all day, which is tough by the end of the day. We cooked hibachi for 135 teachers and staff. And every one of those adults who came to help us didn't come to eat. They came to serve others. They didn't do it to get a pat on their back from the pastor or a teacher friend at Creekside. They served so that we could encourage a group of teachers to press on and finish the year strong, even though they are exhausted. Yesterday, we had a group of teenagers and preteens get up early. They can do it on Saturdays. They can. To go work at a senior adult's house from our church. We had a good group. They didn't do that because Kenny and Monica made them. They didn't do it because they love doing early morning yard work. Which if you have a teen or preteen, you can testify that that's never the case. They came because they were putting someone else first. Sleeping in, video games, Netflix, texting, anything sounds better than early morning yard work. Amen. <laughs> but they served. You see, church, living a life that follows Jesus daily is being willing to get to not get your own way over and over. Keeping an outward eye to those within the church who are in need and those without Christ outside of our church. So I don't know what your life looks like right now, but where are the serving opportunities that you're skipping out on? Where are the people already who are already in your circle of influence? A coworker, a neighbor, a family member? who haven't yet trusted in Jesus, what are you doing to help them know Jesus? When Jesus said earlier, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, he was helping all of us see the first thing we've got to understand is who our leader is. And we've got to realize the depth of who he is, and we've got to sit in it for a minute. If you've been in church your whole life, the idea of Jesus as the Christ has become so second so second-hand and second-nature that you can talk about him, you can call him that without thinking about the heaviness of it. You can call him Savior without re being reminded of the depth of your sin and depravity. 
We need to first acknowledge, if we're going to follow Jesus well, we've got to realize that the leader that we've been called to, to follow is incredible. And that puts in perspective the cost. Because Jesus tells us the cost. You don't get to give Jesus half of your life. You don't get to give him half of your attention. You don't get to give him half of what you, what you have in life. When we think through the cost of following Jesus, it's, Jesus says it's everything. There's no part of our lives that are, that, are, that are off limits to him. I made the joke two weeks ago, that, or three weeks ago, I don't remember, that when you come in my house, if there's a door closed, just stay out for your sake and mine, because <laughs> there's a reason the door is closed. It's a mess in there, okay? We hid stuff before you came in, okay? And oftentimes that's what we want to do with Jesus, right? Like we want to say, okay, hey, uh, the living room, that's up for grabs. We'll open up a hall bath, but for the love of all that's good, stay out of these other rooms. And it may work with your friends and family, but it don't work with Jesus. It's all his. We open up everything to him. We give full obedience to him. This is the cost of following him. And then when we have a right view of the heaviness of who he is, the cost doesn't seem so much, and then we need to walk it out daily with passion by denying ourselves. Listen, if you've never trusted in Jesus, we want to help you with that today. In a moment, we're going to sing one more song, and I'm going to stand back in the back because I hate standing up front and having to stare at you, okay? So I go stand back in the back now, and it'll be easier for you too. Just to slide back there if you need to talk to me. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, we want to help you find that faith that we've all trusted in. Many of us have, not all of us, but many of us have. And, and let you find that peace. I want to be back in the back to help you start this journey. If you're already a believer, let me ask you something. Are you downplaying Jesus' role in this whole thing? Like, do you realize that it's Jesus you're following? You're not following me. You're not following your small group leader. You're not following your grandma, who's the matriarch of the family and got everybody in church. Like, you're following Jesus. The Jesus who is the full and complete fulfillment of everything the Old Testament spoke about. He's the one who died on the cross for your sins. He took your sins in his own body when he died and he took them into the grave and he came out victorious so that you could follow him and be faithful. Like sit in that for a minute as we sing. And some of us, as, as just I need the reminder this week of how hard it is to deny yourself. In a world that says, take care of yourself, you're number one, you know, pamper yourself, like uh, treat yourself, like whatever it is, all that stuff. Like in a world that says all of that, my call is to deny myself as a, as a husband. Am I denying myself? As a dad, am I denying myself? As a friend, am I denying myself? As a neighbor, as a pastor, as a community member, as an American, like what, whatever, put, you, put whatever label you want over your life right now and ask the question, are you, are you denying yourself in that role? Like that's what I've been sitting in this week. Now you get to I share it with you and so now it's your burden too. So that's what I'm reminded of. When I come to God's word, I'm so passionate. I want God to speak to me. And then when he does, I go, oh man, <laughs> that's hard, Right? But it's what God's called us to. And he promises a helper. He promises uh, someone who will walk with us in the Holy Spirit to be in us 
to guide us and lead us. And so today, this invitation, this response time that we're going to have, we're going to sing one more song. And, and again, I'm going to be back at the back. If you need to talk to me about anything, we had a guy come just wanted to talk to me about some stuff going on in his family this morning in the first service. If that's you, you know, just come on back and talk to me. Don't say, well, my need's not big enough to go have prayer. Like, just come talk to me about whatever's going on in your life. We also open up the front of our stage here. It's just as an altar, uh, an opportunity to come and to meet with God, to say, God, here's stuff going on in my life. God, you already knew it, but I'm going to lay these things down at your feet. I'm going to ask you to help me deny myself or bring the, the needs of other people to the altar, to come and pray with a friend who's maybe here today. Come pray at the altar. You can pray right where you are. Jesus here. Jesus mediates those prayers to God right where you are. But whatever, however you need to deal with God, just deal with him, okay? I'm going to say a word of prayer. And uh, Patrick's probably going to begin to play sometime during this song. And, uh, and after I finish praying, we'll all stand together. And then we'll begin to sing this, this beautiful song, uh, Give Me Jesus. And uh, I'll be back at the back, okay? Father God, uh, we come to you. Um, God, thanking you for your word. God, it's so good and so hard at the same time. It's, it's so, uh, so challenging to see, God, how many times I fall short. And God, to know all the weaknesses of my heart. Um, God, the weaknesses of my flesh. Um, but God, I know that, uh, that even in my imperfection, God, you continue to love me. And God, as we all here at Lindsay Lane East figure out what it looks like to deny ourselves, God, we pray for grace as we figure it out. We're going to mess up. We're going to make major mistakes in our life. God, we pray for grace for ourselves. And God, we pray for grace for one another as we figure this out. God, I pray for those here, God, who are wrestling with whether you're a whether Christ is worth trusting. God, I pray that you would speak into their speak into their lives right now, God. Satan's trying to convince them and and distract them from all the things, God, that, that we've talked about today. How good Jesus is. The deceiver is there trying to deceive, but God, I ask you to step in. Squash that sucker and begin to speak truth. God, begin to speak love and, and God, begin to speak the heaviness of who Jesus is into their lives. And God, today, maybe today be the day of salvation for them. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, having heard your word, God, having been challenged by your word. God, now may we lift our voices and our lives to you in response. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.